and welcome to Tabletop Game Talk, On Topic, a show where we talk about tabletop gaming topics of all kinds. I'm one of your hosts, Fletcher. I'm Kitty. And I'm Chris. Today, we're pulling from your emails and forum feedback to revisit some of our recent topics. That mostly means game complexity and rulebooks. I'm pretty sure this is just a way for Chris to defend the fact that everyone agreed with me in the last episode, but we'll see how it goes. But first, as always, a thank you to our Patreon friends of the show, Adam Harrison and the SGC, and thank you to our newest friend of the show, my lake local game store, The Gift of Games in Grays Lake, Illinois. So I will shorten that a little bit for next week. But thanks, Tim. Tim is the... What's the name of the person who owns something? Proprietor? The proprietor? That's owner? the one. Yeah. <laughs> owner or proprietor. What's the name? The owner. He's a proprietor of the Gifted Games. And it is the best game store within five minutes of my house. And honestly, <laughs> <laughs> it's also the best game store. Actually, it's one of the best I've ever been to. Um, there's a Come couple on, others a- I've been to that have been really nice, but... It's at least the best within an hour of your house, Chris. <laughs> at least. At least an hour. There's one that's really, really nice in Madison, but that's way too far away. So Yeah, um, that's outside the hour zone. That's outside the hour zone. <laughs> but um here's thank you to all our other patrons as well. So we have a ton of feedback and it's it's not necessarily quantity. We have a decent quantity, but we have a couple people who really had some strong opinions on some stuff. So I didn't do a whole lot of editing. Um, I did some, but a lot of this stuff, they, was, they were good emails. So we're going to try to address them in their entirety. Um, so I almost, I'm, I'm, so Zachary turned one yesterday. Uh, happy birthday to him. I put that in the banter because, you know, that's cool. But sorry, Zachary, we have a whole lot of feedback to get to. So I can't talk about that so much. Although I do have the best picture of him eating cake. So thank you for having a phone nearby, Kitty. It, it, is, it is a great photo. <laughs> I opened my phone and um, one of your friends had actually Gloria, Josh's wife, known to the podcast, mistook my phone for Sydney's and took like 800 pictures of Zachary eating cake. And they were all adorable. <laughs> it was so good. It, it is now the background to my phone because I'm like, this is just, yeah. So, um, but. Yeah, if you ever if you have a one year old or have a child that's turning one, don't skip on the smash cake and don't skimp on the the birthday party because put I someone would in charge say of pictures. For the though. sake of other parents, cut the big cake and then let the toddlers eat the big cake while they watch the smash cake because there were several <laughs> meltdowns going on, but it was super cute to the adults nonetheless. Yes, yeah, and we did get them the bigger cake soon. They also, did get it. Was- yeah. yeah, I don't think Which any of a... us expected us to take it that long for Zachary to taste the cake. <laughs> he no, was very he's timid like, about it. Why is this this big piece of thing? I don't know what this. Is. And then once he did, he just started putting his entire face into it. I'm like, I'm not gonna pick up pieces. This is way easier if I just smash my face into it. <laughs> Let's go straight to the source. That's why yeah. they call it a smash cake? <laughs> it was great. So, and the the adult cake was really really good. Like I just got it from Meyer, which is a Midwestern. Kind of like a Target Walmart combo. Um, Fun fact: My dad went to high school with one of the Myers brothers, who and it started in Grand Rapids, which is where I yep. went to high school as well. So now I'm in Illinois, but they've kind of spread out over there. But anyway, they had just great cake. So anyway, I was not going to talk a lot about Zachary turning one, but now we did. <laughs> <laughs> you can't stop me, a- Chris. I can't nope. not banter. No, he's so cute. Um, we did have a couple of questions on credits. Uh, question number one, if you've already read them, you do not need to read them again to enter into any of our surprise credits giveaway. Number two, 
if you want to read them again, by all means, do so. Uh, number three, do I have a number three? If you read them, if you need to read them, read them. Um, just read them. Read. Give me semi credits because I will tell you right now. I will tell you what our the giveaway is. Um, so there was a Kickstarter called Zombie Side invaders which is the space version of kickstarter and for some reason i decided to get three of them so <laughs> kitty's giving me that? a look <laughs> one for each person in your family i don't well, i don't get it i was i was in my investment state where i'm like oh i'll just i'll get this are you investing sometimes sometimes kickstarters can go up i mean never mind anyway i have extras so i'm going to give away <laughs> A copy of that with all the Kickstarter extras. How is that investment uh, going? <laughs> it's going great. I'm investing in our listeners. I was going to say, I think every one of these investment games has gone investment to our wrong. listeners. So <laughs> They've all gone to the listeners either that I've mailed to them or Gen Con giveaways. So, yeah, in case people don't know, because I, I, when we get close to Gen Con, I always you know push the live show. But I don't actually mention as the closer we get i stop mentioning that everyone walks away with a game and usually more than one so this is where they all come from but You're this year kitty actually bad habits yeah bad bad investments um but yeah, this year kitty you've donated two boxes of games too so are there already two boxes i have yeah you've, yeah. you've given me at least two boxes thanks marie kondo <laughs> yeah <laughs> So, but I'll be doing that um probably not next week but maybe the week after anyone who's sent us credits will get a pull out of the drawing um also if you're a friend of the show you are going to be entered into that drawing as well because seriously i there's there's no way for us to appreciate enough the people that are at that level so you have to do nothing and you're just entered in everything but only the friends of the show for that um otherwise just send me some credits they're in the show notes just scroll down you can go to the website or you can go to whatever your podcaster is, just do that. You can literally just hit record on your phone and send me that file. You don't have to worry about it sounding great or anything. I'll do some doctoring if I really need to, but typically that's fine. All right, let's get into some listener mail. Um, We're going to go back to game complexity to start with, and we have a couple quick ones here. Don Gilstrap wanted to point out that we said something about ig11 and ig88 for star wars i said something about ig11 and (laughs) ig88 and he and he wanted to emphasize that they're not the same character um my response is simply yeah but don't all droids look the same yeah i have um, such a hard time telling c3po and r2d2 and bb8 they're all so similar although bb8 is probably my favorite which is not a necessary no bb8 is my probably my favorite he's the cutest the one from Rogue One, though, is probably my favorite. And I don't remember his name I at the time. I can't remember moment. that. The, the guy, it was Alan the Tudyk. big. Oh, he, yeah. Alan Tudyk, he, he the was, voice of everything. He, yeah, the voice of everything. He's, he was the uh, imperial, imperial droid that they like hacked and took over. Hacked him, right? yeah. 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 So good. I, oh. Did you know that Alan Tudyk is the voice of the chicken in Moana? Yes. <laughs> I'm a big fan of Alan Tudyk. <laughs> So Two movies good. I've just recently watched. Um, all right. Steve mentioned from BBG. He says, I like, I, I think the factor that makes the hardest. Oh, sorry. We should probably talk about what we're talking about because <laughs> droids had nothing to do with game complexity. It just <laughs> came during that thing. So Steve is commenting on game complexity and specifically weight on Board Game Geek. Um, that weight category. That he number. says, I think. 
the number, yeah. He says, I think the factor that makes it the hardest to determine is the same people use this to describe how complex the rules are, and others is how complicated the strategy is. Without this being split into two different categories, there are always going to be a great diversity of, diversity of opinions on this. Um, and I don't know how we solve it besides just telling BGG, hey, split this into rules and emergent weights or whatever. Yeah, because you need to weigh both when you're thinking about this. You can't really split them because they are both part of the weight of the game. Yep. So without, you know, writing an actual, you know, review, which no human will ever read. Which, I mean, and you even if you do to hit the reviews, you know, once you get to 10,000 reviews, most of them are nothing. So every once in a while, you'll see someone who actually writes something in there. But um, yeah, and if they did it, they would have to add both fields and leave the current weight as like the legacy weight so that only people who are voting on the updated fields would matter. I but I do agree. To, I, I was about to mention that, like you have a person that could play a game like twice and they'd be like, Oh yeah. Like I understand like the rules are kind of difficult, but it's fine. And the legacy weight. Nah, I feel like I understand it. There's no like emergent gameplay. Like once you get it, you get it. And then you come to realize, Nope, I was totally wrong. Yep. Well, and that's so, yeah. And, and it tends, to, once you crowdsource something, it tends to all even out. But yeah, to start with, it's a bit of a mess. Guess the weight of a um, cow style. Guess the weight of the cow style, which is an amazing podcast. I was so almost going to look up where that podcast was from. And I think it was a Planet, Planet Money, Money. One, right? It's definitely yeah. Planet Money. Yeah. So Planet Money, search for weight of a cow. It is the most, one of the most interesting things they've ever done. They basically did a, an episode on how if you ask enough people, eventually you're going to get a right answer on you average. You get real close to the right answer, yeah. Well, once you take the average of all the answers, yeah. you yep. get really close to the correct answer. Yeah. Yep. It's the same thing, like how many gumballs in the jar. Exactly. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. So when if you look at weight, and I know that different people have different opinions on it, but ultimately, after you get enough people, that number is fairly accurate. It's just it's just how it, how it works. Yeah, but, it's just hard to say which side the weight is falling down on because it does take into account both of these things. Yep. And that weight number does take into account. Like, you're going to have a heavier game, even if the rules are simple, but the game is complex. The weight's going to be higher mm -hmm. because it depends on where people feel the weight of the game is. So, like, well, that's how that's going to skew. Also, it depends on whether or not people are rating a game, like, just after they play it like a couple of times or if they like wait you know months and then go back and then rate it or if they like update their an if they bother to update their answer later yeah because you can have I mean, a different opinion later yeah. on and it should come out in the average but again some of these weights there's it's so few votes it's like 20 or 30 people and that's really not enough to get a good average in there but if you see a couple hundred people that weight probably is pretty meaningful so um, Eric Dobb, I'm going to paraphrase here, uh, points out the different types of people vote on different kinds of games. So there isn't consisting in what people think are weighty. So if you're a Euro gamer, you're going to vote for Euro games and judge the weight based on that. If you're a Meritrash gamer, you're going to vote like that. So it again, with enough people, this washes out. But yeah, if you have one person that's I typically pay, play, you know, Simon games and I had to play this Kanban game. Kanban's going to feel really, really complicated because Simon's like, go here, roll dice, see if you killed somebody. And Kanban's think 15 turns ahead, and maybe you might be able to create a car by the end of the game. So, um, But also, also somebody who great. plays Kanban might look at a Simon game and be like, why do I have to know the name of all 800 of these pieces? Exactly. And weigh that yep. really heavily. 
It goes yep. both ways. Yep. So really what you're hoping is that the people who are playing the game are the ones that are going to be similar to you in approaching that game as a general rule. I like CMON games. I like Euro games. And therefore, other people who like those same games, those are the ones that are voting that weight, which tends to kind of average out in the end. Um, Adrian brought up that Wingspan. And I, Kitty, I think I gave you this expansion. But she mentioned that um, there's a Swift Start promo pack for wing, Wingspan, uh, which includes walkthroughs of the first couple turns as well as 10 cards that you use during those turns to help teach new players how to play the game no did i not give you i did not give you this expansion (laughs) no i have the european birds and you got me all the fancy pieces Hmm. and i got you a t-shirt i get you a lot of stuff oh i got you an insert for christmas too yes i haven't assembled it so it doesn't click in my mind but it's sitting on top of the game waiting for me to have time to do a puzzle to sort my game nicely i'm excited Um, about it (laughs) well you could go to stowayer games and you can get it for five dollars if you want to get that and the 10 cards that they use to teach are also you can shuffle in and just they're normal birds like anything else so all right that was enough real quick stuff so fletcher you are up let's talk about christopher miller who sent us an email yeah kind of wraps uh, up a lot of this stuff yeah chris wrote in he says you're right about there being a difference between rule complexity and emergent complexity. This is something that BGG has not recognized. I have long wished that they have t- that they would have two weight scales, one for rule complexity and one for emergence- emergent complexity. That way, chess would score at 1.5 on rules and 5 for emergent complexity, which, you know, makes sense because you yep. can teach someone the rules of chess in like a eh, couple hours. You can teach I mean, not even a couple chess hours. easy. Yeah. It's like yeah. quick. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Remember what they used to do. Yeah, and some of my favorite games have low rules complexity and high emergent complexity. Yeah. So, like, you can track that and find that much faster than just a, oh, 3.2. Like, there's 5,000 games that are 3.2. That doesn't mean anything, really, if you're trying to, you know, use that as a filter. Right. Um, So, he says, another problem with the weight rating on BGG is that if you vote, you cannot vote in partial numbers. For instance, Scythe, I voted three, though I think it is a chunk heavier than Castles of Burgundy which I also voted as a three. If I could, I would vote Castle Bur- Castles of Burgundy as a three and Scythe, Scythe as a 3.5. Um, Here's a funny one. I would do that exactly the opposite. I think Scythe is a much simpler game than Castles of Burgundy. You just don't like Castles of Burgundy because there's too many greens. There is so much complexity in Castles of Burgundy. I cannot learn the rules to that game. Um, it has a lot of rules complexity. It doesn't have a lot of emerging complexity. Yes. I will agree. And yeah. that's why I would flip it around, because I think Scythe has a very simple rules complexity. Um, actually, I think Scythe no. is a very simple game in general. But um, I think Scythe is like, I think it should be a scale from 1 to 10, because 1 to 5 is not enough to rate games. I think that there's there's more variety there, which is why you're getting all the, like, because it's really a scale from, like, what, like, zero to 500 with the or zero to 50 with the tenths in there but you well, can't the, vote on that yeah exactly so it's irritating yeah no but one to ten would be much to, better the way that you solve this problem is that you make a scale and you make it from one you make it from like one to four or one to six so you can't vote you, in the middle you, you can't, can't vote. vote in the middle and the reason that you don't want because most games are going to be in the middle most people are going to be like oh this is about average but when you don't have an average you force people to choose do you think this is more complex than average or less co- complex than average? And in general, it'll wash out because you can average all the scores together. But you don't want to encourage people to vote in the center. Hmm. Yeah, there's a lot of 
most games, I would say, when I look at them, and this is not something I've done quantitatively, but qualitatively, is they're within plus or minus 0.5 of three. So it's like 2.5 to 3.5. And that's because it is. It's easy to vote as a three. It's like, yeah, whatever. That's not hard. And the more comfortable you get with games, the more likely you are to vote as a, yeah, that's kind of average. I also think with a bigger scale, though, if we're looking at the one to 10, people would feel less bad about voting like twos and threes than you feel about voting one. Because it yeah. feels like you're saying it's a bad game if you're saying it's not complicated in some ways. Yeah. Well, I'm going to spoil DTN real quick. Um, Miss Monopoly. So if you <laughs> want to hear about Miss Monopoly, got is a 1.2 on BGG. Most people voted one. There was two people that voted three. And I'm like, really? No, no, one, two, and one, three. And I'm like, really? You thought it was even a three? Um, but yeah, so listen to DTN this week and uh, you'll you'll discover why that is. Um, so Chris continues, Christopher Miller continues. <laughs> One thing that you missed is that there is often a connection between game type and weight. War games, such as, uh, war games are usually in the four to five, um, four to five range. Ameritrash games are usually heavier than Euro games because they are trying to simulate more, which, you know, yeah. makes sense. I would be interested to see the stats on this as well, because typically I would, I would say most people think that Euro games are more complicated than Ameritrash, but maybe that's the immersion complexity versus the rules complexity. Like Euro games tend to be like, okay, here, do the, these are the things you can do. And then the rules really, the complexity comes in like that strategy. Um, where Ameritrash games, it's, there's, I don't know, they just seem pretty straightforward. It's just dice chucking oftentimes. Right. I um, think of like again, risk. Yeah. You know, which is, it's, it's not that tricky, but I'm, it's, I do agree with the sentiment here that different types of games are definitely going to be in different complexities, you know, and the more bits and bobs and special case rules you have, the higher complexity is, it's just going to be naturally going to raise. Uh, so continuing on one last thing, and you do mention it, game weight does not equal enjoyment. In other words, if I, if I like heavy games, I can enjoy light games to an equal amount. For example, Star Trek Frontiers is my second favorite game of all time, and it scores a 4.28 on BGG. But I have several other games in my top 10 that do not even get to 2 on the weight scale. Yeah, and I think this is this is just universally true. As much as I like to say I don't like party games, I have fun playing party games. And party games tend to have a very low complexity, and not every party game, some of them I really, really do loathe, but if you're playing in a group and people are having fun, it's really easy for those games to just naturally be more fun. Like, you just see them as more fun. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Some general questions before we get into rule books, because that'll be the majority of this podcast. <laughs> I didn't want to call it rule books part three, because I figured people would get sick of it. So, uh, but really, it's rule books part three. <laughs> the son of rule books. <laughs> the son of rule books. No. Um, Josh Anonymous from G BGG asks about Party Game. Wants to know the name of the singing party game we played at last year's New Year's Eve. So this is a question to Kitty, actually. Oh, I don't know. My parents have it. Um, let me see if I can find this on Amazon real quick. Karaoke. I, I should have given you a heads up on this, but I'm like, yeah, I don't remember should've. it either. I just remember hating every bit of it. It was the worst kind of party game in the world for me because it's something along for the line you. it wasn't a what was it spontaneous yeah it's and not you a role didn't like it no i hated it 
But I, I would say so several much. people really liked it, but that you were not alone in hating it. Because I yeah. think my mom and you were ready to just like walk out of the house. <laughs> yeah. I'm like, I enjoyed that everyone else was having fun. And I enjoyed that your father could do it, whatever you had to do. It was something like... Um, so you had, you had to name a word, and then you had to know a song that you could sing at least five words that contained that word. And if anyone else could come up with a song containing that word, then you lost and they got to go. Yeah. So this is an amazing game for those people that are, you know, have that. I hear a song once and I know all the lyrics. For me, I know all the lyrics to exactly two songs. Happy birthday and ABCs. Um, ABCs, I don't know because I just go Elemento in the middle and I'm not exactly sure what the order is there. (laughs) (laughs) But, um... But yeah, it's like I just I don't learn lyrics like that. Melodies I can I remember very easily, but lyrics I don't. So this game was torture for me. As are most pop culture word games and anything that deals with spelling. Like those games are not fun to me. They are nothing but torture and I hate them. I hate them so so much. But we had played this game previously with um my brother-in-law Jesse and his dad and they were just as into it as me and my dad were. And we were having so much fun and like Jesse getting me when I thought I had it with psychosomatic and, you know, just all these things <laughs> happening. My dad knowing all of because I thought I was doing really good. I had all these like kids songs that I knew, but it turns out they were all um, covers of Woody Guthrie songs that my dad knew the originals to. And I was like, oh, like, <laughs> it was just really fun. I had a good time. Spontaneous. Yeah, I, if you missed it, it the first time and it's spun. a pun. It's spelled like a tune in the middle. Right. T-U-N-E. This is just a great example of there's an audience for every game out there, and you just and it's not you and my mom. (laughs) Well, and and you guys can go play Wingspan in the other room next time. Yeah. Well, the other part works too. It's like no game works for everybody. So I mean, like a lot of games work for a lot of people, but you know sometimes you just have these niche games, and that's okay. All right, next you get to read it, Fletcher. Oh, sorry. He's waiting for you to notice that he typed your name there. (laughs) Uh, So this is uh, an email we got from JTT. Um, As you were discussing the idea of this being the year 2020, it reminded me of how obscure of an obscure show I watched as a kid that was set in the far off future of 2020. It was called Super Force, and it was basically RoboCop for network television. This sounds kind of awesome, actually. <laughs> the name doesn't, though. Look the name up. sounds like, like they, really, Super Force? You can't think of anything else? Anyway, <laughs> this made me think. What obscure TV show, movie, book, etc. would you like to see made into a game? My first thought was Airwolf. I've never heard of that either. Uh, which could be a fun helicopter combat game. So, Air, basically, Airwolf was a fun helicopter combat game. But it was... Uh, I want to say they were kind of like mercenaries or paramilitary. They were the good guy mercenaries, whatever you would call that, <laughs> that went around in a hel- helicopter that shot stuff. Um, I barely remember it. I don't know. Do you guys have anything from the like, 80s? Well, I guess for you guys, early 90s games that you would want to turn or something turned into a game. Um, to, I don't know I'm about anything from like my childhood, but I think, um, did you watch Cube ever? Have you seen the movie Cube? Is that the one where you're trying to get out of a maze, like this giant yeah. cube maze? I think that would make a fun game. That would make a fun game. Like a series uh, of small escape rooms? Yeah. I am trying to think of something, and I can't, the, the only thing I can, only stuff I can think of is already like made into games. Like, 
don't know, like Star Trek I remember watching. Or like I read a lot of um, Forgotten Realms book books when I was like a kid. So it was like uh, Which is basically already to start with. these were games already. Um so I can't really If think you think of, of something just like shout out a random pop culture reference later in the episode and yeah. we'll okay. see if we can figure I'll, out what you're doing. The yes. one that I thought of was the A team. Because in every single episode they meet somebody new that needs their help. And then there's a montage where they have to build something to fend off the bad guys of the of the episode. And then the bad guys of the episode come in, and then they have to use the thing they built to do the thing, and then they solve whatever they help the person. Because it was so repetitive, I think it would actually make a pretty interesting scenario game where you have to go through and do exactly that. All right, I've got a good one. I think it should be Columbo. And you actually oh. already know the answer <laughs> to the murder at the beginning. You just have to yeah. find the right evidence. <laughs> oh, one more question. One more question. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> that's actually amazing. It's like, you know the answer. Because <laughs> you, the but audience, you always to, know what happens in Columbo. You just have to watch have and to solve prove it. it. <laughs> oh, I like that. That's good. That's some good stuff. All right. And now we're going to end the good stuff section of this podcast. <laughs> going to try to maintain my chill here. <laughs> Kitty and I have called a truce. Um, she's just now being made aware of this, but Kitty, we're calling a truce. <laughs> so I actually wrote in first because, and I'm going to read this probably verbatim just because I wanted to make sure this gets out there. So we got a lot of good feedback from last week's episode, and it occurred to me that the topic was the problem. I made it extreme. I said, getting rid of rule books because I wanted to have a discussion, thought experiment about what we would do if we were to get rid of rule books and hopefully end up someplace in the middle. Unfortunately, it turned into trying to defend the thought experiment in the first place. Thanks, Kitty. But not not your fault, not your fault. <laughs> but what the topic really should have been was reducing the barrier of entry of rule books or just rules in general. It didn't make it this way because we reran that rule book episode and I didn't want it to just be this is how you write a good rule book. I wanted it to be actually thinking about how to reduce the barrier of entry of rules. So we're gonna read some fun back. Fun back, fun feedback. <laughs> And at times, I'm going to directly disagree with some of the arguments that our listeners made. I don't like doing that. Um, but keep in mind oh, that... Oh, you like doing it. I don't necessarily like doing that. No, but he likes doing mind- it to me. He doesn't like doing it to our <laughs> listeners. But our listeners yeah. keep agreeing with me. So it's hard. It's so hard <laughs> for him. That's the problem. Yep. So <laughs> I am going to be countering in what my intention was, not what the topic actually ended up being. So even when I disagree with David a billion times, um, it's not that I'm disagreeing with David because a lot of the stuff I do agree with, if we're just talking about getting rid of rule books, I'm not for that. I like rule books. I sort of like rule books. I like rule systems. Um, But again, I am approaching this as not me, not Kitty. I am in my mind thinking of Carmen on one extreme who likes games when, you know, she'll sit down and play a game Um, and Sydney on the other extreme where she's a huge gamer but will not read a rule book. She will, she's not one that wants to read rules and just won't do it. She's like, no, I, and it was one of the reasons why I think she's cult of the old is because like, I want to play a game. I know how to play because re- learning the rules is the most tedious part for me. So those are the people I'm thinking of when I respond, when I respond on that note, kitty. <laughs> do I get a rebuttal or am I just supposed uh, to read David's email? No, no, you absolutely. 100%. <laughs> Yeah, so my rebuttal would be, you know, if it had been presented to me as a thought experiment, I would not have derailed the conversation. <laughs> but it was presented to me as, why should we get rid of rule books? 
And my answer was, we don't. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Which, so, again, I totally... I disagree I, with the premise. I totally yeah, take yeah. on the responsibility of not making the premise clear. And, and for that, I apologize. <laughs> but the, the feedback we got in this episode was incredible. We got like, so much great feedback. I don't think we're yeah. going to be able to cover it all because we got... Seriously, so much. So we'll jump right in here. So David yeah. says, the number one question I get asked all the time from many around me that do not play games is how in the world do you learn all those rule books? I do believe that based on my experience around non-gamers, that for those not in the hobby, learning a game is a chore, a task, a hurdle that unless it can be taught reasonably quickly is a major barrier to entry. But I do agree with Kitty in the sense that it comes with the territory. It really is part of the hobby. It is part of the tactile feel of tabletop gaming. So I'm just going to interject here. Well, I agree with that statement in general. When in, in any industry, in any place that we've ever been in history, when someone says, this is what this is, we've always immediately been proven wrong. You know, this is, we've invented everything there is to be invented. And then the 21st century, 20th century comes around, right? It's those types of things. So while I believe that, yes, right now it is part of the tabletop gaming, 10 years from now, this will not be a true statement. And the people who think outside the box are the, going to be the ones that create the new what is tabletop gaming. It will be worse for some people because people are, you know, you like what you know. It'll be better for others. And so just kind of keep that in mind that I don't think we're at a point where tabletop gaming has stopped growing, especially in the realm of rules. Yeah. <laughs> no, no, you can rebut. I, I just, um, well, I didn't read the, you know, feedback nine hours ago and type in all my thoughts coherently. <laughs> so um, I, I don't think he said rules are the hobby, though. I thought he said they are part of the hobby. Yes. And I don't think that that's going away. I do think that he has really hit something here with it as part of the tactile feel to tabletop gaming. That there is something about this that if you try to remove it, you will lose some of the magic of tabletop gaming. And that you don't want to throw out the baby with the bathwater in trying to bring people who are never going to be that interested in. So, but he goes on. The example of video games is a good one. The players that invested time into video games early remember that manuals came with games and we had decades of learning how to play video games and that now that has been passed on to a new generation in my and in my opinion, video game mechanics have been streamlined enough that they have become innate. All racing games play the same regardless of what platform they are on. Open world games play the same. Again, I know there are plenty of non-gamers who have 0% interest in uh, video games because they are too complicated even though they have a tutorial that would walk them through how the game is played there is enough of a learning curve learning how to operate the game systems themselves that is a hurdle so this is well so this and this is something i just literally heard on a podcast today because i listened to too many podcasts um and i thought this was an interesting um statistic to throw in there i they were interviewing the i think the marketing director of twitch and what Twitch has discovered, or some research or whatever, is 67% of the population says they play, on average, at least one hour of video games a day. Tabletop gaming comes nowhere near this. 67% well, is a vast majority of human beings. Yes, but you're saying that everyone who plays, say, is an hour of gaming throughout the day. That means my mom, who plays Candy Crush on her phone for five minutes at a time in between depositions, Correct. is yep. counted the same. You can't 
do that with a tabletop game. It, it's so much more setup time and like there's so much more like it, it's not the same thing. So it is if you take a look at things like apples to apples versus scythe. Apples to apples is the Candy Crush versus Scythe, which is the uh, call. But of how duty. many people do you need to play apples to apples? Uh, don't at least don't three. Fix how many right, people do you have to have to play Candy right, Crush? Let just me go. One. Let me, You're never let me gonna go back. get there. Hold on, hold on. I'll go back to just solitaire. Just a deck of cards, solitaire. You only need one person to do that. Yes, I know that video games are easier to play because you only need one person. Oftentimes, the video game, the game itself, is the other person. I agree with that completely. The pre- the point I'm trying to make here is video games don't have it. <sighs> There's a number of points I'm trying to make. First of all, just that video games are on far, 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 far more played. Because when you open up a video game, you don't have to learn anything. I don't think that's why they're more played, though. I think that's a a wrong premise. I think they're more played because you can play them by yourself. You don't have to do any setup. And you can play them. You can pick them up and put them down much more easily than you can with a board game. Agree with all of that. Adding one, you don't need to learn the rules. But you do need to learn the rules. It's just easier to learn the rules. It, and there are many games, apples to apples being one of them, it takes you two minutes to learn the rules. Right. Well, And that's why I'm trying to compare apples to apples is to Candy Crush as Call of Duty is to Scythe. Like, they Not are Not even too- Call of Duty, like Elder Scrolls. Like, there's so much fine, more fine. out there. There's so, like, fine. many complex pick, video games. Pick any complex video game. I mean, all I'm saying is there's a range on the video game side and there's a range on the board game side. And the simpler the rules... For the board game side, the more likely people are to pick up and play that game. Same thing happens on the video game side. And I'm, I'm not saying that's different. I'm just saying that there's a, a difference of scale when you're looking into this. And the fact that anybody can pick up a video game and play it. Because you can't do anything wrong. The game's not going to let you do something wrong. You cannot enjoy it. You cannot optimize it. But... You know, you give a controller to your mother and she'll walk around in Elder Scrolls and do stuff. Like... No, my mom won't touch the video game controller. Neither will my mother-in-law. They won't. All right. I can't get them to play Switch. (laughs) I can't get them to play the Jackbox party games on the Switch that they use their phones to play that they don't even need to figure out how to use a controller. Uh, you there give the controller to a there. random to a random grandmother, and she will be able to walk around because the game's not going to let you do anything wrong. There's no rules to learn. So that's that's the only point I'm trying to make. So continue. <laughs> I do think, though, that grandmothers are that, what, like 33% of the population. That That is the 33 that aren't playing video games. They're only playing mobile games, I guess, maybe. <laughs> Probably. <laughs> they don't touch Which console count? games. I Which don't count know as video one. games. Yeah, this is not console games. This is any video any game. Any video game. And I think that yeah. if we... Right pulled on console games it would be completely different number because mobile games are huge with the population that will not touch console games i don't play console games so yes you do now i played i played pokemon you're playing witcher right now aren't you no i'm playing i played pokemon and then i got done with it and i'm like now i'm going back to board games don't you play (laughs) diablo no i mean i did for a little bit and then i'm like eh. like i have a uh, i have a limit on how much i can do (laughs) Yeah. All right. Continuing. All right. Sorry. <laughs> um, we'll remind you that this is back to David Miller's <laughs> um, email here. For board games, I think it's much the same. For those playing board games, we are com- we are becoming more and more familiar with specific mechanics such as deck building, pool building, worker placement, and a lot of these mechanics, although certainly a much wider range of them than I believe video games offer. 
but these mechanics are becoming more innate for those who play games regularly, just like video games over time. So I agree. For those who play games regularly, these things are becoming commonplace. However, we get emails fairly often saying, hey, wait a minute, what's a deck building game? Hey, what's this? So even people in the hobby, maybe if they're not familiar with the term, maybe they're not familiar with that type of game, but they are learned things. Where video games can hold your hand, when you're playing a tabletop game, it is much harder to jump in and just start playing a worker placement game because you don't have anything to base it on. It's not part of the cultural knowledge, per se. So again, just pointing it out, not you know, it, they're different. They're different things. But I don't think just because we have more and more deck building games that the average, again, random grandma is going to sit down and be like, oh, right, I know what deck building games do. This this totally makes sense. I'm going to start drafting victory okay, points. stop saying random <laughs> grandmas because this is totally a generational thing. Video games and board games. They are like, you know, my dad being the exception to this rule, they are much more like you get into them when you're younger and you continue doing it into your old age you usually don't pick it up in your old age maybe who do you know who started being a gamer past the age of 30 aside from my father um well sydney's father so that's that's two fathers um but Uh, i would argue that sydney's father was a huge i actually would put my dad as a huge nerd somebody who played D &D like way back in the day too so well no so sydney's dad has never played D D. Um, they only My played dad board did, games. Sorry. <laughs> yeah, they only played board games with her because they f- felt it would like help socialize her since she was an only child. And his his big game has been paper baseball. Like he does um, APA or something like that. So that is his his thing. But he will sit down and he will learn a new game with us that he's never played before, concepts he's never learned before, because it's like you know family game night. And he'll come over and do that. And when I'm talking about teaching certain games when i'm looking at playing with him i'm looking at a very very specific subset of games that i'm like you will be able to get these and eventually if you play enough games i'll be able to get you to higher games but right now i there's no way i could get him to start into something like scythe but maybe my little scythe i could do that um but that game was also written for you know eight-year-olds which sounds condescending but it's not supposed to be my little scythe my little scythe is actually a pretty fun game, um, but it is it is a streamlined version of scythe, and it's meant to be something that you can learn easily. So those are the. And actually, I haven't done that, but maybe next time with game night, I'm going to actually play my little scythe with him and see how he does. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Anyway, continuing. A, a rejected name for My Little Pony. Like, no. <laughs> well, it it's a it My was... Little Pony like port of scythe yeah. that they made to be. That's the theme they put on the more approachable scythe for younger kids. Yeah. It was designed by a father and daughter, and the daughter had rethemed it to use My Little Pony, but with the scythe rules. And I think it was like it. like My Little Pony scythe or whatever. But then uh, Jamie from Stonemeyer Games said, let's do this. Let's make this a real game. And then they rethemed it to actually not be IP violations. But yeah, <laughs> that's how it came to be. That's awesome. All right, David continues that video games are definitely more like bumper bowling because they guide you and prevent you from falling off. Tabletop games, despite their rule books, there is no guide keeping you from falling into the gutter. If you do not read the rules, miss a rule or just misinterpret a rule, but that's how you sign 
that's what you signed up for with tabletop gaming. It's part of the hobby, and it's what keeps these games unique and fresh. I'm seeing Kitty's point clearer. I don't particularly love reading rule books, but it's the unique experience that each board game can possibly bring that draws me into this hobby. And if you begin streamlining rules to the point where they just become button smashers, that would be boring. To keep each game fresh and unique, you have to invest in reading rule books. Completely agree. <laughs> yeah. So, well, let me let me counter this with with a question. Why didn't you ever learn to play Arkham Horror? Because I did not have enough interest in playing the game to invest in the rulebook. I knew from reading the first few pages of the rulebook that it was not going to be a game I wanted to invest my time in in the future. So why would I continue to invest my time in it right now? It wasn't a game I purchased for myself. No, no, no. I or picked that. out or did anything about. I understand. It was I'm, given I'm, to me as a thought experiment <laughs> of check out how much you'll hate this. <laughs> True. And at the time, I hated it as well. And it was not a theme that I was actually interested in. But it how wasn't did you until, get into it? Um, eventually, I just forced myself to get past the rule book. And like, it was the most excruciating thing. Like, I'm pretty sure that was the most excruciating game I've ever learned and then ended up loving. But it was just the most painful process. And there was a number of people. I mean, I listened to so many podcasts and a ton of people who really love the game that made me keep going back and trying over and over and over to learn this game. But had that not been the case, I would have completely passed up on it. Like, I would have never gone back and done it. I think I could write a rule book for Arkham Horror the Card Game in less than eight pages and be able to teach anybody that game. It is not complicated. The rules presented as they are make it more complicated than it needs to be. And there are also rules in there that are just complications that don't need to be. Um, another thing I was thinking too is when we look at like mass market games, one of the things I find in common with a lot of play groups is they don't actually take the rules all that seriously. And by that, I mean, they don't play to the letter. They they read the rules, they get an understanding, and then they play the game. And you they play don't to care the spirit of the rules. Right. They don't care that they might be getting something wrong. I think in the hobbyist, with hobbyist gamers, we care. But for casual gamers, it's like, no, just as long as I can figure out something to do with this, with these bits and bobs, uh, and we have fun, that that's a game for us. So I think the more rules there are, and the more they affect gameplay, the more important it becomes to follow them, because it can affect different players um, unequally. Like when we were playing um, Cry Havoc, and we were scoring battles wrong, we put Sydney at a huge disadvantage when she was playing the Red Faction. And we we were just like, oh, well, we'll just keep playing by the wrong rule because that's how we were doing it. And then we finally figured out like, oh, that's why no one wants to be red is because we've been doing this rule wrong and it's disproportionately affecting that. And so that doesn't happen in a game like Monopoly, the game of life or Monopoly or or whatever it is. You you can play by the wrong rules and everyone is playing wrong together and still having fun. But in these more complex, weightier, heavier hobby games, the rules become more important to everyone having a good time together. Yes. And that's why, like, the heavier the game, the more invested, like, the group has to be. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that there's a place for the heavier game, the bigger rule set. And there's always going to be a place for that, but it will always be a smaller niche than the more approachable, easier to learn games. Yep. And I do want to make very clear, I don't want to get rid of all complicated games and all rule books. That, 
that's silly. That's like saying, you know, you're playing it wrong if you like these kinds of games. What I do want to think about is how do we make these relatively complicated games that we think of as complicated easier for more people to get into? That's that's kind of what I'm I'm hoping for. I think the much better thought experiment shouldn't be getting rid of rule books because that sounds like taking away something that we already have. The thought experiment is how do we create a game without a rule book? Yes. It, and which, coming from it from just that like different angle sounds much more fun and a much more interesting thought experiment to me because you're not trying to make a game that needs a rule book not need a rule book. You're trying to make a game that doesn't need a rule book. And that's a completely different thing. Yeah. Um, to, to rephrase, it's, you're not trying to make a game that needs a rule book not have a rule book. You're making a game that may need a rule book, not need a rule book, because the game itself can teach you Because it you was as designed go. that way. Yeah. Because it was designed and, to not have a rule book. Yeah. And that was 100% what I was trying to do last week was starting like, you know, with the fast forward series of games and stuff like that. Um, but again, I sometimes you just have happy accidents and we get great, great emails. <laughs> so Marsha um, had, she put this on the forums on BGG. And it starts out the same way that most of these emails do, um, or most of the feedback does. I love does. it. I just watched this feedback roll in <laughs> smiles of delight. You guys made my week. <laughs> well, I mostly just agree with Kitty, but I'm not sure having a rule book is the problem. I can understand where Chris and the publishers are coming from when they want to lower the barrier of entry for getting more people buying and playing games. That said, here are my thoughts. Non-hobbyist gamers are still buying with rulebooks. Games, hobby, game, blah, games, hobby gamers don't necessarily consider hobby games like Cards Against Humanity, Apples to Apples, Ticket to Ride, Trash Pandas, Don't Wake Daddy, and Life and Monopoly all have rulebooks. Um, I don't know what Trash Panda and Don't Wake Daddy is, but yes, I did don't look up Daddy the rulebooks. Don't Wake Daddy is a terrifying game from my childhood. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. Um, like on, she's a, yeah, go ahead. No, no, no go ahead. <laughs> I was just saying it's like one of those games that, of my childhood that had like commercials on TV where I think it's like technically a roll and move or like Don't a spin and move maybe. Wake daddy. <laughs> yeah. And it's like if you get on the wrong thing, it's like you have to hit the alarm button a number of times and then boop, he like pops up and it's like kind of like mousetrap, but a little bit like Rube Pie Face with, a, with an angry father. You know, Pie yeah. Face? Yeah. But instead of getting hit in the face with whipped cream, there was just like a figure that woke up and went, ah. Actually, it was you very brought startling. up a. Our next episode, you just made me think of the topic. We're going to do advertising in gaming because that's a whole other thing that I want to talk about, but we're not going to talk about it now. It's, it's a right. jack-in-the-box that's been gamified. That's what it is. Yeah. Yes. Um, so, Marja continues. They aren't even great rule books. In some cases, they are shorter because they are lighter games. I believe people are more likely to buy these games, even if they are not board game enthusiasts, not specifically because of the short rule books, but because these games are marketed to the masses as being family activities. They are marketed as toys. So, I'm going to say the rule books for Cards Against Humanity, I don't even know if that has a rule book. Uh, if it does, it it's like it a page a long. It has a leaflet. It's like yeah. half a page. <laughs> Same thing with Apple to Apples. I think Ticket to Ride and Monopoly, Life, and Catan are actually good examples, um, especially Ticket to Ride and Catan, because these are games that are popular in the hobbyist sphere, or at least they were at some point. Um, you might be over Catan and Ticket to Ride, but they are still started out as popular here. Their rule books are four pages long. Actually, Ticket to Ride is three pages. Catan is four pages. Now, Catan has an appendix that goes along with it, but at the same time, you learn those all the rules in four pages. Ticket to Ride, you learn all the rules in three pages. 
Catan also has 1,800 expansions. Yes, but the base <laughs> game, and that's the yeah. interesting thing with Same expansions. Same thing with Ticket to Ride, actually. Yeah. And Ticket to Ride, their expansions are brand new games. They have the same concepts, but some of those games are very much more complicated. That's grammar. Um, than, <laughs> That's grammar. Than the base. <laughs> or not. Uh, so, and what's interesting is, like, if you're a Catan player and suddenly it's like, oh, wait, there's this other Catan. You've already played, like, 50 games of Catan because that's your family night, family game night. You're Kristen Bell and every week you're playing Catan, right? So... Those games have, I don't want to say solved this problem, but they have found a a magic way of getting lay people, which sounds terrible. They got into... bought by Parker Brothers. Is that what you mean? <laughs> well, sort of, but they got they got someone, you know, a non hobbyist gamer to play a heavier game than those Hasbro Parker Brother games. No, they got bought out by Parker Brother. And now they're sold in Target. I think that's the magic key that gets these <laughs> games more play. Well, all right. So in the Target's defense, and we should do an entire topic on Target, too. <laughs> um, Target has actually gone mainstream. There are competitors in online gaming. There are games that you can find at Target.com that you cannot find at yeah, cool stuff. They have Target exclusives. Yeah. And I well, think no, that getting your game in Target is like... It's huge. Yeah. And if I'm not it's talking- there, people play it. My sister yeah. is not a huge gamer. Uh, she went to Target, bought Splendor for her nephew, and they've been playing a ton of it. Yeah. Splendor is another great example of, like again, I like Splendor. It is a fun, casual game. It is, and it is a game that anybody can be taught. Like anybody. These are the types of games that, you know, hobbyists and non-hobbyists alike find common ground on. And what I'm hoping is that we can find more ways of creating common grounds for more complicated games than Splendor. Splendor's easy. No problem. How do we make something like, you know, Star Trek Outer Rim, Star Trek Outer Rim, Star Wars Outer Rim, a mainstream game? It has the potential. It's the presentation that makes it look complicated. So those are the kind of things I'm thinking. It also has the footprint. I think that the hobby in general does not take into account the footprint of a game on a table, the number of pieces, the losability of those pieces. How easy is it to set up and tear down, put away without losing the piece that's going to make it impossible to play in the future? You are jumping ahead to some more feedback we have later. (laughs) (laughs) It's so much bigger to me than a rule book. And I agree with that. So, um, but Marsha continues, publishers need to get better at marketing their entry-level games as family toys or party fun. Then in these, then in those game boxes have good marketing materials showing how fun the next level games are. No one who isn't a gamer enthusiast is going to jump straight into a board game with something like Scythe, which is intimidating for more reasons than just the rule book. 100% agree. Um, I'm just going to say 100%. I had some more stuff written here, but I don't care. Um, I had just 100% agree with that. Uh, that being said, I 100% agree components should be set up in a way to make learning the game easier and have less rulebook pages than when necessary. Um, the rulebook graphics, design, ease of use, all important. Again, agree. This part here... Uh, YouTube videos are great resources for those of us that already are in the hobby. But honestly, if I weren't already interested in board games, I don't think I want to watch a rules video any more than reading a rule book. This one, this sentence here is incredibly, um, uh, just, just uh, everything about it I agree with. 
we keep saying that rules videos are better than rules books for people who are more visual learners or like teaching rulers. I don't know that that is actually true. I watch a lot of rules videos. I very rarely have ever learned a game from a rules video. It's just made the rule book easier to read because now I have a general idea and now the rule book is a second teaching as opposed to the primary teaching because reading is a primary teaching when that's that's more complicated. So I don't know. What do you guys think about the idea that if you're not already invested, are you even going to bother reading a YouTube video? Have you have you learned any rules from a YouTube how to play? I yeah. can't say I've fully learned a game from a YouTube video, but I have definitely learned game setup. Seeing somebody set up the board for me, I don't necessarily watch the video past that. But once again, I am not a visual learner. I learn from reading. I learn from doing. So it's not my medium. So I can't really weigh in too heavily on it. Yeah. What about you, Fletcher? Um, I mean, again, I don't think I've ever learned an entire game by watching a video. But it has definitely helped in learning the rules. And uh, like you said, Katie, like game setup is also pretty um, interesting how, how they set up the board. Um and also just like if it's a few terms of play or like mock play, um, that's kind of it's kind of like how I learned Gloomhaven a little bit was like through like mock play. They're like, OK, like this is how the enemies move this is how I'm moving. This is how I'm taking my turn. And it's like, OK, I kind of get how this works and then you can look up all the fiddly rules and everything. But like general like turn of play, I think that's in a video. Yeah, but I don't think they're ever going to be replacement for a rule book. No, just a straight so. video is just never going to really work out that way. Now, this part, Fletcher, you should, um, you will, you will have a comment on. I'm sure. My vote for how to fix this problem would be an app or apps, something that walks the player through setup and teaching them as a quick search feature. Or it also has this quick search feature for things that could come up during the game. In a perfect world, like Kitty, I wouldn't want this to be completely replacing the rulebook, but in addition to. So, what do we think about apps? Uh, I don't. I. I don't know. I don't think it's probably the way to go. See, I think it's a really good idea. I just don't know if it's a very practical idea. But I like her idea of like one app that has multiple games within it. I would think a company, something like Asmodee, which has the deep pockets, would be able to put that out. Because you have written something here. So go ahead, app (laughs) developers. Tell us why apps (laughs) don't work. (laughs) So Fletcher and I, our day job is app development. It's what we do for a living. Um Fletcher, you're are you you're still doing Foot Locker, right? Yeah, yeah. So if you use a Foot Locker app, that's Fletcher. Um, it, there's a number. There's a lot of apps that we've done. Um, if the very cheapest that I could ever do an app for, and this is independent for something that would take less than two weeks, is about ten thousand dollars. Like there's, there, you wouldn't even look at the cost less than that. Um, if my company were to do it. You would no. be looking at one hundred and fifty to two hundred and fifty thousand dollars to do an it app. Depends on that, the company, but but yeah, yeah, yeah. That, to teach you how to think. So apps are sort of out of the price. Well, not sort of. That they're mostly out of the price range for most companies, even the but big I companies. I don't even think that you need to make an app like a website, like YouTube, and a searchable PDF can will solve like you know ninety percent of what what they're asking for. Yeah. If we came up with a standard online template for this is how you learn games and most publishers just kind of decided to use that template and people got used to using like learning games in that way, 
that would be great. Um, the problem is everyone approaches this differently. So there's no consistency across the publishers. I mean, I think there is some consistency. And like, I could tell you almost every good rule book that I have read that I want to learn the g- rules of this game and I have done it through their rule book. The first page, it has a list of the components, their names, how many of them there should be, what it is. Next comes setup. Next comes turn order. Then comes victory. And like, that's how you learn the game. Yeah. And I agree with you. All of the good rule books, well, all of the books that you've learned easily from have a, basically that setup. The big problem is in that turn order section. Yes. Because some games are just, there's dozens of pages on how to do every different little action and what you can do here, um, there, and everywhere. Is it um, Root where everyone has their own? rule book for the different <laughs> factions their, everyone <laughs> has two section. pages of their own rules yeah um but there they actually have most of the rules on the faction card itself as well so the setup is on the back so everyone can be setting up their own stuff because the rules are on the back of the faction card when you turn it over the rules you know for your general turn outline is on the front so root is an incredibly complicated game to learn because every player is being playing by different rules they've done a They've still done a pretty darn good job at allowing you to learn these rules simultaneously as long as everyone's invested in learning it. But it's like the it's the pinnacle of complicated because nobody's learning the same game. You're just playing on the same board. So they had to come up with an interesting with ways of making that actually approachable. I still haven't learned it. I had a very hard time. I tried to pick it up several times. Spencer was interested in it. And I was telling him how much I was like, hey, I would love to play this game, but you're going to have to be the one to teach it because I can't. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and again, it's one of those. And and I don't want to say that another way of proving my point, but even here where they're trying to make the game as easy to learn for everybody, they've still fallen short. And the rule book doesn't do a good job because the rule book has to teach you four different games or four different ways of playing the game. I don't know that that's necessarily true. Because you've learned it, Sydney's learned it, and you and Sydney taught a bunch of people at GameholeCon how to play it. Super miserably. Like, (laughs) so bad. It was the most miserable teaching experience ever because we did not – we knew our two factions that we had played. And then the other two factions were like, oh, well, we know the game. We should be able to teach those other two factions without a problem. No. Nope. We had to basically learn along with the table. And we just told the table, I apologize. We are all learning this together at this point. And that's yeah. how we got through Root. So, but Root, once you've invested in it, it's actually, a, it is a really great game. Like anyone who's played it will tell you, it's like, it's it's worth the investment, but it is a huge investment. And it's beyond the scope of what I could say, like, you know, how to reduce rules and whatever. Like Root is the extreme where yeah. that's but not I, the one word. I still think that you can think of it as like, so video games, you say there's no rule book, but I say the tutorial is the rule book of video games. And there are some games that have good tutorials and some games that have bad tutorials and some games that, you know, introduce mechanics slowly over time that are super easy and intuitive to pick up and some that go so slow that it drives people crazy because my sister stopped playing this game because she's like, all I did was walk forward. I was like, you just do that for like the first 10 steps of the game and then you start doing other things. And then I went back and I played and I was like, oh, I guess I had more tolerance for just walking forward than I thought I did because that is really all you do in this game for a while. Yeah, and I mean, even if you turn the tutorials off though, the game itself won't let you break the rules. Well, some games don't let you turn off the tutorial. 
Well, I agree. I agree. I'm just saying if you have a game that doesn't have a tutorial or you do turn it off or whatever, once you are playing the game, you still can't break the rules. The game is enforcing the rules. That doesn't work with a board game. Now, the board game, if you want to play by the rules, somebody has to know them to enforce them. So that's that's kind of a big difference there. Yes. So she continues. As a hobbyist enthusiast, I also wonder if the elitist attitude of some enthusiasts is what keeps some people from driving deeper into the hobby. Maybe as a group, we need to stop dissing Monopoly, Uno, and even Catan. Some people really like those games, and it's their own experience with board games. We should focus more on what they may have liked from those experiences, and if they're interested in helping or interested, help, and find other games with similar characteristics. 100% agree with this. 100%. I tried to say this last week, and if I didn't get it across, that's, like, all my fault. Because, yes, this, 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 this. Yeah. Um, 100% agree with this. But, <laughs> and of course, nothing matters before the but. Um, <laughs> I, I think the, and all of the people that are affected by this, there, there's no but. The group that I'm interested in bringing in, though, is the group that isn't actually going to conventions or game stores or approaching people who, you know, diss their fact that they like Monopoly. The group that I'm looking at are the organic, I'm in Target. There are now a lot of really good games on Target shelves. I want to buy one, bring it home, and be comfortable playing it immediately. Now, Target does a really good job filtering what games they put on their shelves to make sure they already kind of, like, fall to the easy-to-learn rule set but bringing in people that have no association with the current hobbyist group is where you get the most growth and that's kind of where finding a way of of streamlining learning games helps the most i think yes and no so i think target has done a really good job too of like they carry heavier games but they've done this um in their wine section too i don't know if you've seen this they have like hey if you like this game you should check out this one or like this game is a heavy game, you know, not for beginners, kind of like warning sign. Like, And I also think that prices of games can be self-sorting that way. The more complex a game is, almost always the more expensive it is. Because it has more components, more presence, it had more design time that went into it that needs to be made up. So something like Gloomhaven... I you know Target doesn't carry Gloomhaven. What's a good one? Like they, Twilight Imperium. No, no. I don't know. Gloomhaven's a good example because at the end of the year, Target will carry. It. Well, they will be carrying a simplified version. They won't be carrying exactly. the whole of Gloomhaven. I'm trying to think yeah. of like a Gloomhaven esque setup cost game that Target would carry. I don't know. They don't carry it in store, but there are a few games that they carry online. Um, we just did one for DTN last week that I was surprised that the only place I could find it was online at Target. Um, but yeah, they're, they're in store stuff. They are looking for the more casual. You're looking at like 20 to $40 and people are going to spend 20 to $40 on an experience that may or may not work out for them most of the time. Whereas they won't spend a hundred to more dollars on an experience that they are not totally sure they're invested in. Yeah. Yeah. Cause I think the one we were talking about was like $136 online and you're not going to see that on the store shelves. So much like in their wine department now, you can go up and they have, you know, like labels like bright and bubbly. This one's a very fruity flavor. Or if you like sweet wines, if you take your coffee with cream and sugar, you'll like this wine kind of signs. They have similar stuff going on for board games at some of their locations. I don't know if this is all, but I have seen them around. (laughs) Yeah. Well, I will, I will say 
like, it's, like I said, Target should probably be an entire topic, but Target has, <laughs> is doing amazing things for our hobby right now. And people who are like, you know, upset about Target exclusives, don't be because they are going to be the ones that are supporting us stronger than any other mainstream retail outlet. And you cannot diss that kind of support. Like, it's just, it doesn't make sense to shun it. I do know someone, though, who was looking for a game to um, play at a certain circumstance. And she was like, I really want to get one of these few games. I want to buy local. She called ahead to her local game store, was told that the games were in stock, showed up. The games were not in stock. They tried to sell her other similar games. Then she said, "Okay, well, what about this other game I'm familiar with? And they said, oh, let me go see. No, we don't have that one either. And after this happened three times, she called me and I said, go to Target. They have all those games you're looking for. Yeah. And that's the kind of barrier to entry that people run up against. And well, I mean, there's so many barriers, but yeah, that shouldn't be one of them. All right. So to finish off her email, and then we will make it, we'll make a call. Um, So I have a lot of friends who don't play board games at all. This has me so curious as to what they would say as the reason they see board games on the shelf at Walmart or Target and give them a pass. I may have to do a Facebook poll. Do a Facebook poll. Please, 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 please do a Facebook poll. I want to know why your friends don't play board games. And then send us those stats and we will do an entire topic on that Facebook poll. Um, It's the art. (laughs) <laughs> the art on so many of these games is so bad <laughs> i don't well the, see, this is the thing yeah splendor for, has such bad art for what it is <laughs> oh it does marvel splendor is gonna do so much better yeah um yeah, and marvel splendor you're gonna see on target and people are gonna get it and people are gonna play it and they're gonna love it because the splendor theme was horrible um they should have just made it's it not a even theme. a horrible theme. It's just a really bad cover. It's yeah. a bad theme. It's, a, it's like this guy that's like leering over. Like he's leering. At you. He's creepy. He looks yeah. weird. I don't like that game like, cover splendor. at all. And yeah. it put me off from playing that game for a long time. But I actually yes. like the gemstoney kind of thing it's got going on. Yeah, I, I like the gameplay. Um, mm-hmm. I just I would much rather it be space themed. I just, I don't know. Oh, literally every game that you have ever picked up is spacey. (laughs) No. I like the pieces themselves. They're like a nice weight. Yeah. I mean, you can totally call me out on my fairy tale game collection. So (laughs) (laughs) everyone has their niche they like. I have a question I'm going to ask you guys, and I'm not editing this. So the answer is going out to the public. We are already long. We have one, two, three, and a really long... Um, email to go. I am all in for making this a long episode and finishing this up. You guys in? All right, no. but we need to just read. <laughs> <laughs> all right, I'm going to summarize very quickly then. Um, let's see. Uh, why don't we Eric- make it two? Why don't we make it two episodes? <sighs> yeah, just we've got enough here. We can go to another one. <laughs> all right, so this is part one of our feedback cleanup, and next week will be part two of our feedback cleanup. Yeah, where we promise not to, you know. Well, we're not going to gloss over. <laughs> all right, all right. I'm in. Um, that that's totally fine. So here's here's my thing. Uh, we're going to do feedback cleanup for next week. If I have, if you are not Eric, Robert, Christopher Miller, Jason Marks, um, Eric Dodd, and Robert Moyer, um, and you have feedback that you want for next week's episode, email us feedback at tabletopgametalk.com. Any topic. Any topic. Anyone at all. Anything. So 
next week is going to be feedback. Please not. So, please not just rule books. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Questions have you have had burning yeah, it, in the back of your mind. Please in fact, write I, in. I, I, I encourage not rule books unless there's something we haven't touched on or you don't think we're going to touch on. Um, but any, but essentially anything. And if you've left something on the forums or you sent us an email earlier and I've missed it for some reason, you can say, hey, I sent an email on this time and I haven't heard you talk about it or something like that. That's fine too. Just call it back to my attention. Um, and we will do feedback catch up part two next week. <laughs> <laughs> so this week, and like I said, these things are just happen. But we are going to do an episode on Target and we're going to do an episode on advertising and why we don't do it in our hobby because I don't get it. I still want to get to the Couch to 5K games. And we'll do the Couch to 5K <laughs> as well. So we have a we lot of cool topics. We got to call on Facebook about it. Yeah. Somebody tag not, us in the thread. Yeah, I promise we're not running out of topics. If anything, we're just picking <laughs> topics that are more complicated to talk about. Um, do we have any announcement? It's, oh, it's January already. Uh, yeah, I don't think I have... <laughs> It's actually almost February. Yes. Adepticon's around the corner. So I'll be at Adepticon. Sydney and I will be at Adepticon. I'm now um, having a baby in five months. That was yeah. the thing that happened today. Yep. It's crazy. It's, <laughs> congratulations. Um, yeah, all these things are happening. Okay, so we're going to summarize this. And then I apologize for those of you that really hate talking about rule books, but we're going to do one more week of it, apparently. <laughs> <laughs> Send us feedback. Send us feedback. <laughs> Send us feedback about anything else. We desperately need feedback on anything. Okay. Um, I don't think. Oh, oh, wait. If you don't have feedback, that's fine. You can send us good questions, not not throwaway questions. Um, and that sounds terrible. But if you do have like a legitimate thing about what we've talked about, it's like you know, what do you think about this, this, or this? Those types of questions, uh, we can throw those in there too. Yeah. So, no bad questions, please. No bad questions. Well, no I yes mean, or no answers. I think is what he was trying to say. We have yeah. like open ended discussion starting questions. <laughs> yeah, discussion starting questions. So sometimes we get questions like you know, uh, if you could have any board game character and have lunch with them, who would it be? Those kind of questions are not bad, but they're not the ones I'm looking for. And now Kitty's thinking about this. So <laughs> you can Sherlock follow Holmes. us on <laughs> <laughs> you can follow us on Facebook at Tabletop Game Talk Podcast. Twitter is Tabletop Game TLK. Kitty is Lawful Good Mom. Fletcher is net flesh josh is josh's blonde that's still in my notes but if you want to follow i just hung out with him yesterday so he's fresh in my memory (laughs) i am game master chris and uh yeah kitty's turn if you'd like this mess you can follow us on patreon (laughs) support us on patreon (laughs) tabletop game talk is a proud member of the dice tower network Thanks for listening, and remember, we love your feedback. So email us with comments or questions about today's topic at feedback at tabletopgametalk.com. All right. Fine. And for our oh. credits, we have oh. Jesse Wolkowiak. I have not heard this, and I wasn't sure if I was going to pull it up before I even hung up with you guys. But let's find out what Jesse has to do. Um, I'm going to press this button. I would like to give a huge thank you to our patrons, Adam Harrison, the SGC, Jason Strong, Terrence Miltner, Stephen Seitz, Brian Arnold, Sean P. Kelly, C. Marie, Ludie Lou, Benjamin Heimowitz, Jerry Wang, Stephen Phillips, Caleb O'Brien, Jennifer Engelbrick, Justin Willard, Christopher Dung, Jason Marks, Jeremy Fisher, David Recky, Nick Kukstra, David Sellers, Jason Roddy, Seymour Butts, Michael Yanikowski, <laughs> Miles Clark, Cindy Lou, Phil Schwartzel, Ann Reynolds, Eric Hoffman, Andrew Dong, Nate, Faz Flitham, Sean Peck, Eric Sealander, Mike Smith, Trevor Davis, T. 
Tim Vernig, Chris Lowe, Joe Hoover, Timothy Gross, Dunn Cotter, Jesse Wolkowiak, Emil Jewel Jacobson, Marina Stevens, Gregory Huber, Don Gilstrap, S- Stephen Judd, Leanne Volhurst, Christopher Letko, John Lewis, Joe Rackstad, Ryan Nelson, Sahara Wentworth, Weatherman Keefe, Nicholas Lotz, Agnes Tooth, Paul Raymer, Jimothy, and Matthew Droke. Until next time, keep playing games and having fun. <laughs> also, the gift of games. Um, this is going to start a trend. <laughs> now there's going to be like Easter eggs in every <laughs> credits read we get from now on. It's because you don't pre-listen to <laughs> I don't. I don't. I mean, I can post-edit, but I'm not going to. Um, <laughs> we shouldn't have laughed so hard. It's like a toddler when I try not to laugh at player three's ridiculously bad behavior. <laughs> Thanks, Jesse, and being like a two-year-old. <laughs>